Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Attention, attention, action this day. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk, the Dunkirk week and a bit. Um, with me, Al Murray, and James Holland. Um, uh, so far, I mean, uh, we uh, I'll be honest with you, we banked some of the what we call content in the podcasting industry um, before the Dunkirk week began, and we've been, basically, we've been ahead a couple of days. So it's been amazing watching your response to the stuff we've put out so far this week. It's been really, 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 really... Exciting watching you uh, get into it, engage with it, and uh, be as fascinated by this earth-shattering week as we are. Um, uh, and, and response to all the different, um, you know, points of view from Steve, um, Steve Prince, from uh, Pierre Samuel, from uh, my father, the Colonel, and it's been really, it's been really, really great seeing you get this involved. Um, but it's May the thirty-first. Yeah, the evacuation is well underway. Yep. More than a hundred, more than a hundred thousand men have now since until today. More about one hundred twenty thousand, we think, have been evacuated. Probably, so we're into we're into we're well past several divisions. We're into at least a core, aren't we, James? Yeah, so yeah. So the yeah, British yeah. Army. Yeah, to, yeah, almost two core by that stage. Two uh, and that day, so um, the, Churchill. You know, while they're going back, I mean, this is an amazing thing. While they're going back yeah. across the channel. They are, um, Churchill is flying to Paris. I know. And then, you know you what? Know, and that, and that is... just seems so sort of counterintuitive in a way, but, but he's doing well, it. But... Escorted by Spitfires of 609 Squadron. You see, but this is what I'm, I'm, I'm forever amazed by this. Churchill goes to Paris. Like, what? <clears throat> you think, uh, uh, you know, surely there's enough. To, I mean, from one point of view, there's enough to do in London, isn't there? Right? If there's enough. There's enough to be getting on with. This is the, I've, al- I've always found this absolutely amazing. And it's dangerous, really, really dangerous. Not just not just Messerschmitts in the sky dangerous, but flying is that much more dangerous. It and military is. aircraft aren't modern safety standard well, airliners. Look at look at look at the, the the people that die. You know, General Sikorsky. You know, may or yeah, may not Ramsey. have been assassinated. Uh, Ramsey um, yeah. dies. I mean, um, what's his name? Leslie Howard, the um, the yeah. actor. Shot yeah. down. I mean, flying is flying is dangerous. Joe Kennedy's um, oldest son. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, there's and, lots and, of you know, them. And, well, and also, and, and an awful lot of people lost in, you know, pilots we've never ever heard of lost in prangs and engine failures yep. and uh, uh, aircraft structure failures and all that sort a, of stuff. A conservative estimate of losses in the Battle of Britain, 30% due to prangs accidents and just sort of, you know, mishap. So there it is. But he's going to Paris and he must... And, and again, we've talked this week about we've talked this week about how this week, the Dunkirk week, politics, politics is is in the mix in a way it kind of isn't an awful lot of the rest of the time. You know, there's coalition politics, but the actual raw political decisions of staying in the war, how you stay in the war and how you how you gather political support within the UK for that. And we've covered that an awful lot. And by that point, he sealed Churchill has sealed that deal. Yeah, he's in France, isn't he, to say to the French. Don't worry, we're yep. staying in. Yeah, is there if there's anything we're, we can do? We're behind do, you, Mesami. We're behind you. We're, yeah, and Churchill's um, rotten French. 
Nous sommes avec vous, mes amis. You know, uh, it is, it's breathtaking that he does this, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, and, and when he gets there, he's, he's there and he says, you know, I'm, 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 I'm proud to report that by midday today, Friday the 31st of May, we have evacuated 165,000 people. And he's absolutely cock-a-hoop because, because the start of the week he was, he was feeling so distraught about British yeah. prospects that he could barely eat his dinner on Monday yeah. night. But now everything is changing. It, 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 yeah. it, is, it is really significantly shifting. Having said that, it is, it that, is, it is the beginning well, of the end at Dunkirk by Friday the but, 31st. But, but let's be honest also, you go to the French Premier and you say, uh, we've managed to evacuate 160,000 soldiers. You are serving the French a shit sandwich there, aren't you? You're saying to them, you're saying to them, woohoo, we've got away. Uh, no, he's not. Like... He's saying, no, he's not saying that. He's, he's saying, no, I've but, got but, these but... guys away. We, you know, we haven't been completely defeated and this means we can return them to France and carry on fighting. But, but alongside you, our brothers. Yes, but but if you're, I'm, 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 I'm adopting the French point of view here, which, yes. which very much, very much feels like, and and obviously the the British have no choice but to do this. This is the only, the only option. There is no other option but the evacuation. But if you're the French government, you might be thinking, especially if what does Reno know has actually gone on within the French army command and actually how they failed and what their yeah. problems are. And I bet, I bet he's got generals in his ear going. Well, the British, the British folded on our left flank and buggered off. Well, it, okay. So what's interesting is, 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 is new people are coming into the, into the war cabinet, of which Pétain is one, and yeah. um, and 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 he is a defeatist by this point already. Yeah. Weygand yeah. is is not massively impressed because he's taken over from Gamelin, and, and he's not massively impressed because of the kind of you know he he was trying to gather this this first counterattack and it and it and it doesn't work, yeah. uh, and he slightly sort of blames the British for not showing up. When it when the reason they haven't shown up is because they physically can't because the French have been too slow to to organise themselves. Yeah. yeah. But so so finger pointing is starting starting to happen. What is really interesting though about the high command of the British and the French at this time, with the exception of those who've just come in at the last minute, they actually they like each other and get on really well. And there's also Edward yeah. Spears, who's this incredibly interesting character, who is Churchill's man in Paris and is is the kind yeah. of, sort of liaison man, and he's a Fluent, I mean, absolute faultless French speaker. He's worked on the French yep. staff in um, as a liaison officer in the First World War. He knows them all, and the relationships that have been forged, you know, from the First World War and in the interwar periods and in the build-up of, of sort of massive um, diplomatic and political machinations that have gone on in the summer of 1939. All that has, has has helped kind of foster this quite tight relationship at the very top level. So actually, it it and, and what's really interesting is. Reno is incredibly grateful to the British, and there is ne- there is never once even a hint or or suggestion that the British are to blame for this. So it is it is the new it is those sort of it's the Wagans and Petanists who are coming yes, in exactly. and sort of so slagging them off. Uh, and surely, surely, if you're Reno, you know you're about to get fired, don't you? You, you know you're. You well, know he your knows that he's politically. Because- well, his big problem is because he's in this coalition uh, coalition government. His his hands are politically massively tied, and he is desperately trying to kind of keep the whole shit show together. Um, and, but he and must. What what, what but- Churchill is trying to do is trying to sort of keep French resolve going for help as long him as out. possible. Yeah. And he's obviously the alternative, the ulterior reason for that is the the longer they can keep the French can keep going, the longer the British have got to prepare for what's going to follow. So. Yeah. It, it's a, it's obviously an incredibly difficult situation. I mean, this is also the day that Lord Gort leaves. Very reluctantly, he was the commander of the of the BEF, 
um, and and he tries to kind of sort of resist. And Churchill absolutely slaps him down and says, on political grounds, it would be a needless triumph to the enemy to capture you when only a small force yeah. remained under your orders. Yeah. And so this is when when Alexander, um, then Major General Harold Alexander, comes in and is yeah. acting acting CEO of the of the BEF instead. And one of the great things about Alexander is his utter imperturbability. He speaks fluent French, um, amongst yeah. many other languages, including Russian, Italian, and German. Um, um, and Urdu, as it happens, but um, you know he is—he—he he, he immediately makes contact with uh, Admiral Abriel, who is the um, French commander at, at Dunkirk of, of, of the naval fortress there. Alexander, at the time, tells him that that you know they're going to hold the existing bridgehead for the next day and then pull out completely on the night of the first, second of June. That's that's yeah. that's the idea. And and Abriel is not massively keen about this and says, no, you can try a little bit harder than that. Uh, and Alexander says, well, that's, you know, by the current rate, that by that point, we'll have got everyone off. What's interesting, though, is is the rules are quite strict about who they take and who they don't take off. So walking wounded, that's fine. They can they can get off. Yep. But if you're if you're stretcher bound, if you're prostrate, you won't be you will be left behind. Um, and there are a number of hospitals um, that have been set up, military hospitals. My oldest mate, Giles, who was born five days before me on the same natal ward in Salisbury Hospital and has been my oldest mate ever since. He's unusual in that his father was a lot older, um, was actually born in 1906. Yeah. And um, uh, and actually had tea with Thomas Hardy in 1924. Um, uh, you know, it's just... Sort of... Anyway, I remember there was this one time when we were both... We must have both been about 19. It's probably kind of sort of year off time, something like that. And um, and Sue, Giles's mum, was away. And I was staying at Giles's house, which is only sort of 10 miles down the road. And Jim, his dad, started talking about the war. And he was a doctor. And, and he was a doctor at Dunkirk. Right. And, um, and so Giles would go, Dad, tell us your war stories. And he said, all right, I will, boys. And... Um, and he said he said he can remember Dunkirk very very vividly, and he said they were at a hospital on the edge of town. He said it was it was he said said, said he remembers this air raid coming over the Luftwaffe coming over and bombing it, mm. and they're obviously bombing the town, but lots of bombs hit the hit the hospital. And when the sirens went off, they all scarpered. And he was with this other surgeon, and there was a there was a, in the grounds of the hospital there was this this sort of mound, this like this dike, and they yeah. jumped behind it, and he said. I cannot remember the... I can remember so vividly. He said, I couldn't remember the noise of it. But he said, what I do remember is the incredible pulses going through the earth. So much so that we were actually lifted up off the ground. And he said, when they had gone, when the, when the raiders had passed, he looked at his friend who was wearing a tin hat. And the tin hat, he'd had it on the back of his head. And the top of the helmet was just peeking out over the top of the mound and there was a v just sheared straight out of the top of it hadn't touched him at Christ. all yeah but a, a bit of shrapnel just gone and just taken out this v out of the sea and anyway they kind of got up dusted themselves down and they could hear someone moaning and there was this bloke on the ground not 20 yards away he'd been hit and um they got a stretcher and and, and got him onto it and um the guy kept moaning. He kept saying, I told my missus I was going to get it. I knew I'd get it. I knew I'd, I'd, I'd get it this time. And and Jim said, he said, his wound in his abdomen was so bad, the blood was 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 running through the canvas and dripping on the ground in, in, a, in a torrent. 
and he said we got him to the to the to the um, theatre and it was dust and debris and he said we just we just cleared off the dust and debris off the operating table and put him on and by the time they'd laid him out he died jesus yeah and as you can imagine you know Giles and I were sitting there just absolutely yeah open mouthed at this so so what happened to those what happened to those wounded then so the whole of Jim's hospital was evacuated they got him out yeah. and they put they moved the, some of the wounded on and he was one of the ones who was told to go back. So he was right. evacuated from the East Mole um, uh, and was one of those guys that, that got away. Um, comparatively near the end. I don't know whether it was the 31st or away. He didn't say what day it was, yeah. but he said it was near the end. And um, uh, a number of people were asked to volunteer to stay behind with the wounded, yeah. knowing that they, you know, just a skeleton medical staff with the wounded, yeah. knowing that they would all be put in the bag. And that's what happened. And what was so amazing about watching that footage in um, Lost Home movies of, of Nazi Germany was suddenly there was this footage of of, of, um, of Dunkirk and one of the scenes was a, was a hospital. And I thought, oh God, I wonder whether that was where Jim was. Is, which day is the day where they put the lorry pier out? Yeah, so the lorry pier is a day before, so that's the previous day, that right. morning, um, and th that's why on the thirtieth they have more men lifted off from the from and the, the um, from the. Because I don't know that I don't know that we I don't know that we did the lorry pier yesterday. Um, so the lorry pier yeah, we basically did the jetty, is the lorry jetty, the lorry jetty, yeah, the two hundred and fiftieth so, field company. So they just get all their hands on all the lorries they possibly can. They yeah. drive them into the sea, and you create yeah. you create a, a, a improvise a jetty out of kit you don't want the enemy to get their hands on. Yeah, and they do that on the thirtieth because there's this low mist over the thing, so it's the perfect right. time to do it because no one can see you doing it. Because there's no there's no there's no in the more the first few hours of the morning on the thirtieth on Thursday yeah. the thirtieth of May there's no air there's no um, air fighting over the over Dunkirk there's yeah. no attacks because because the Luftwaffe can't take off they can't fly over there because there's, there's this low mist, so they take make the most of that on this mill pond channel creating this jetty out of out of of, yeah. of lorries that they don't want um and they go and that's why they lift off quite a lot of men that yeah. that does history re does, does history record whose bright idea that was not the individual person but it is the 250th field company right so or oh, so, so sappers that do it oh well of course it was the sappers i mean who else absolutely <laughs> okay well we'll take a break now we'll see you in a tick Achtung, achtung. Hello, dear listeners. I hope you've been enjoying the content James and I have been serving up this past year. If you have enjoyed it and you felt so inclined, could we ask you to consider voting for us in this year's podcast awards? There's a special award that's got nothing to do with juries and industry professionals. It's called the Listener's Award. You need to go to British Podcast Awards slash vote. Then put in We Have Ways and up we pop. Prove you're not a robot, you know you can do it, and make sure to confirm your vote in the email they sent to you. Many thanks from me and James and everyone at the We Have Ways team. So um, Alexander takes over at 6pm. At 5pm, Burgues is, is, is abandoned, and at this point, it is no longer one core and two core, it is just... it is. Two core of the BBF are completely evacuated, and the perimeter is shortened, so it's no longer going all the way down to Berg, down to Furnas. Yeah. It's actually brought up a little bit. Um, but that, but, but that incredible brings... air fighting later on in the afternoon, and in that right. afternoon, loads of. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I remember coming across this absolutely amazing diary. 
by um, a, a German Luftwaffe fighter pilot called Siegfried Betker. And Siegfried Betker had this journal. And um, you can look at it in the um, Tagebuch Archive in, in Emmendingen, which is in the, in the Schwarzwald, in the Black Forest. And, and this is the National German Diary Archive. Yeah. And in the book, it's, it's given to him at the beginning of September 1939 by his then girlfriend, who becomes his wife. And she says, um, I thought you should have this during these extraordinary times. Who knows what you'll be writing in it? I mean, you literally, you couldn't make it up. If you saw that in a Hollywood <laughs> script, you'd think that's loaded. No one writes yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But it really, really did. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, so he kept this diary, and the diary is fantastic. And, and, you know, on this day, he just goes, I don't know what day of the week it is. I, I'm absolutely exhausted. Yeah. Uh, and all of them are flying over um, Dunkirk and just seeing this pall of smoke. Um, and I remember talking to, to Julius Neumann, who kept uh, who who took some amazing photographs of, of both of Rotterdam from the air earlier when it was bombed on the fourteenth of May, um, yeah. but also of Messerschmitts in action. I'll I'll, I'll post them up actually because they're really really amazing. Um, and he says, you know, Dunkirk is all one firebrand. Um, many ships on the beach, bombs, fires, anti-aircraft fire, and Stukas. Uh, and, and on that same day, as Cocky Dundas is flying over. Um, who's a, a Spitfire pilot with 616 Squadron. It's an auxiliary yeah. squadron. He flies over. You know, I could see Dunkirk from many miles away. The smoke from the oil tanks was burning continuously. The black smoke rose from somewhere in the harbour area, thick, impenetrable, impenetrable, obscuring much of the town. As it rose, it spread in patches, caught up in layers of haze and cloud, but still the greater part thrust upwards to a height of between 12 and 15 feet thousand feet where it was blown out in a lateral plume which stretched for many miles westward over Calais and beyond down to the channel so it gives you this incredibly vivid picture of of what Dunkirk looks like from the sky and of course you know if you're if you're British pilots coming from southeast England and you haven't got radar protection anymore and you haven't got you know ground controllers vectoring you whatever all you got to do is look for the dark smoke and yeah, fully you know. That's Dunkirk. Yeah, you don't need to look That's at the compass. Yeah. And it's the same for the ships. You know, yeah, amazing. Yeah, but you know, it's big, big fighting. On... So in in four days of fighting over Dunkirk, the, the RF fighter command, fighter command, not yeah, yeah bomber yeah. command, have lost 108 yeah. aircraft. And the Luftwaffe have lost 118. So, and also it's a big day for losses of vessels. So 32 vessels lost this day. And and losing lo- losing aircraft at this point. Um, uh, for the for fighter command has an increased risk of losing the pilots because after all when we come to the battle of britain one of the things that one of the things that is is the home advantage as it were of yeah, fighting yeah, the battle yeah. of britain is if you're shot down over kent you're back at biggin hill or yeah. manston or wherever yeah, you'll be flying again at four o'clock that afternoon flying, yeah you, yeah they yeah they stick you in a car and they come and get you and yeah. take you back to your airfield uh, uh, and so this is a this is the double attrition of the airframes and the people yeah. so it's m- much more a much riskier use of fighter commands um uh assets you know the doubting letter and all that that we talked yeah, about yeah, yeah. said the other day but 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 so so it bites more again it has there has to be done doesn't it because this is the, the this is the, the critical yeah. moment isn't it yeah and i think you know the responsibility that's handed over to the it's, it's really interesting because because the, the very day that the goering says um Oh, don't worry, my fury. You know the Luftwaffe can 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 deal with with the British. You know we'll we'll, we'll sort it out. He he has given that absolutely zero thought, because actually the German airfields are a long way away. 
they're not you know they're on the german border so so they've got to go they've got to move up to you know the fighters are moving up up on a daily basis up to up to captured french airfields but they that that involves yes, also bringing in and out up, hopping out aren't they yeah but it also involves bringing up fuel it involves bringing up spare parts all yeah. of a, you know whole, it's a whole it's not it's not just as simple as kind of flying into a new airstrip it, it's it's you know logistically it's 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 a real problem stukas are still flying from the kind of you know the german border so you you know Luftwaffe's time over target is actually pretty small at Dunkirk because they've got a long way to go. On the very same day that, that Goering says this, he visits Amsterdam and goes to the Hausstücker Gallery, which is one where he's already got it lined up. And what's really, really interesting is both Goering and Hitler really like this kind of old masters stuff, which is really out of vogue. But, but Hausstücker, who is this Dutch-Jewish art dealer who's got a very swanky gallery right in the middle centre of, um, of Amsterdam, deals in Dutch old masters and Cranachs and, and, and Bruegels and, and, and Rubens and all this kind of stuff. The interesting thing about him is he, he, he flees on the, on the 14th, along with everyone else, leaves the, um, the gallery in the hands of some of his assistants, who are not Jewish, but takes with him his little black book, which is his list of paintings that he owns and which are all up for grabs. Tragically for him, he gets a, he gets a, a, a passage back to Britain and during the passage trips down some stairs, breaks his neck and dies. It's just one of those kind of freak, freak things. It's got absolutely nothing to do with the war whatsoever. It just happens. He's only 42 or something. Got a young family, all the rest of it. Anyway, his black book, he's recovered and is now in the archives in, in Amsterdam. And one could go and look at this book. Uh, and there they are. And it's literally, you know, every page is kind of Rubens, 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 Bruegel, Cranach, Cranach, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all these amazing, absolutely incredible artists, Rembrandt, 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 blah, blah, blah. And anyway, Goering has already worked out that Hitler is going to come in and clear up because Hitler's stated aim is to create the Führer Museum in Linz. He's already got this all lined up. And what he wants to do is create this kind of, sort of the best art, you know, the Uffizi. He's been to the Uffizi in 1938 and he looks around the Uffizi with Mussolini and goes, do you know what? This is what I want to do. I, I want to be like the, you know, the Medici. I want to have my own museum. So his whole, part of his whole kind of raison d'etre is to create this amazing art gallery. Goering knows that Amsterdam is a target-rich environment for, for Hitler's art scouts. So he thinks, OK, how am I going to get in ahead without kind of sort of double dealing with it, you know, without crossing the Führer? So he lines up earlier in, the, earlier in 1939 a German businessman called, um, I can't remember what his first name is, but his surname is Meindl. And Meindl, he's a businessman, entrepreneur, bit of a cad, bit of a scallywag. And Goering says to him, right, my friend, what you're going to do, the moment we go into, into Holland, you're going to go to the Hausstacker Gallery and you're going to take it over. Hausstacker's gone literally on the 15th of May. Meindl goes to the Hausstacker Gallery and goes, I'm buying the whole lot and I'm buying Meindl's, I'm buying Hausstacker's properties. He's got this big schloss just outside uh, Amsterdam is where he entertains clients and stuff, as well as the gallery. Buys a whole lot for absolutely peanuts the whole shooting match all 1200 paintings on the very same day that Goering says um obviously if it's owned by a Jew then Hitler can go in and go a Dutch Jew he can say that's mine now that now belongs to the Nazi state but if it's owned by a private individual who is German Hitler's not going to do that and it's and it's owned on paper now not by Goering 
but by Mindel. So the deal is, is that so on that very day, Goering goes to the Hausstücker Gallery in Amsterdam and chooses which ones he wants and chooses something like 600 of them and says, I'll have that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. And then says to Mindel, you can have the rest. And what you do with the rest is up to you. Mindel then spends the rest of the war selling them. At the end of the war, he flees to Spain, sets himself up as a dealer in Spain, takes most of them with him. And most of them have never, ever been recovered. A lot of them have never been recovered. Some of them have, and that's fine. But a lot of them haven't. But a lot of them have. Um, but the interesting thing about that is the whole exercise is done so that Goering can get the cream and deny it legitimately, in inverted commas, um, from, and prevent Hitler getting it. So, it, it, you know, he's, he's double-crossing the Fuhrer. It, and, and that is what his mind is on that day. It is not, you know, as far as Goering is concerned, who is totally feckless, his, his concern is, oh, we smashed him. It, it's, it's a done deal. It's done. Because it's done. he doesn't get it either. He doesn't have that geopolitical. Well, and also either. he thinks there's nothing. There's nothing we can't do. He actually believes. I mean, it's this. It's totally. this Nazi thing of believing their own hype of drinking uh, of drinking their own Kool Aid, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Where, whereas Erhard Milk, who is his number two, just like, after the Dunkirk oh, no. evacuation, uh, just at yeah. the end of the Dunkirk evacuation, arrives in Dunkirk. I think it is, or flies over on something like the fourth of June, and looks at all the debris, and looks at all the abandoned trucks. And realises he can't see a single British prisoner. And, and Goering goes, oh, that's not a problem. We'll just go straight over. And he goes, how are we going to do that? And Goering goes, oh, yeah. just don't give me that kind of bollocks. Just, just sort it out. Sort it out. Yeah. Yeah. So his yeah, mind's yeah, yeah. just not on the job. Meanwhile, Goering's pilots, they've been flying non-stop since the 10th of May. You know, they're absolutely knackered. You know, no day off, no half day off, nothing. They, they've been at it full on. And, and the culture within the Luftwaffe is such that, in the end of the evening, you don't you don't knock off and go to the pub. And no, you sing s- you sit around and you sit around and, you and, and talk and, tactics and, you, and analyze and, and endlessly and endlessly go on on and over and over and over and over again in the way that the RAF fighter command lads are going to the pub and and, and they're just absolutely knackered. You know, Heyer Herman, you know Heyer Herman, who I, I've mentioned before, my, my my Nazi friend that I interviewed, the scariest guy I've ever <laughs> talked to. You know, he, he'd flown in the Condor Legion, he'd flown in in um, Poland, he'd flown in Norway and Denmark. He's flown non-stop a bomber pilot. So yeah. says, you know, he's already, you know, he's already up to 70 combat missions by, yeah. by this time alone. You know, but no one and, in the in the RF and he should be, to fly more than 50 full stop in the entire war. He should be training people, passing on that experience rather than burning out and placing himself at risk. Is, is and to, they can't to, because they haven't got the because they, they haven't got the people because it's a one roll of the dice. The whole thing about the Battle yeah. for France and the attack on the West is is a single throw of the dice. It's a it's a total gambler's throw at, at absolutely everything. And so they've cleared out the training schools of aircraft. And most of those training those training planes, particularly the bigger ones, which they're using for bomber training, they're already crashed and and, and smashed. Yeah. You know, don't yeah. forget, 353 Luftwaffe aircraft destroyed on the 10th of May 1940. It's the worst single day of losses for Luftwaffe in the entire war. Hmm. So, so, it's, 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 so there are, for the Battle of Britain to come, although if you're a Tommy on the beach and you're seeing Stukas diving down and fumes yeah. of sand and all the rest of it or you're coming back on a ship and there's yeah. fumes of water rising a thousand feet in the air as you're being straddled by bombs it may seem incredibly one-sided there are already massive chinks yes how many are lifted today 
68,014 lifted on that day, which is 22,942 from the beaches and 40,281 from the East Mole in one day. In one day. So we're at 200,000 in total by now, surely. Yes. And to put that in perspective, in the entire five-night evacuation on Sicily, the Germans evacuate over a stretch of just a mile and a half. They evacuate 39,800 in in five nights. 40,281 just from the East Mole, 68,000 from the entire Dunkirk back to Britain. Germans are amateurs. They're, they're crap at evacuation. Yeah. They just haven't got the faintest idea how to do a decent evacuation. That's what it comes down to. They're too what busy. They they're, too, they're, they're just no good at running away. It's... <laughs> <laughs> man for man they were worse at running away than we were <laughs> <laughs> oh that's gonna run and run isn't it <laughs> absolutely okay well that's all for may the 31st we'll see you tomorrow thanks for listening cheerio cheerio